Amen. Um, well, we don't have very much time, so I'm going to uh, speak at a breakneck pace today. I'm not going to recap last week. If you missed it, go to our podcast. It's on our website, myncwc.com. You can go over to Messages. And um, last week we talked about pride, and it was a fun message for all of us. We were, I was limping as I wrote it, and I was crawling after I spoke it. Thank God we've got two feet, so today I'm going to get the other toe. I promise it'll hurt, because it hurt me. It may not hurt you as bad as it hurt me, but it's going to hurt, because God is in the healing business, right? You know, <clears throat> it says, there was, there's a passage, I believe it's in Jeremiah, it talks about, he says he broke us, you know, but he'll repair us, he tore us, but he'll heal us. You know, sometimes, um, you know, when, when something doesn't grow right in the natural, you got to break it to set it right so that it'll grow properly. And I think, you know, it's my understanding of that scripture, it's, it's helped me to understand that, is sometimes God has to break something in our life. You know, he is our healer, but sometimes he has to break something. He has to bring correction to it and then straighten it out and, and put a splint on it so that we can <clears throat> get good use of that part of our body, you know. And so I take encouragement from that, that the word of God is here to challenge us as much as it is to encourage us. <clears throat> and I pray that as we, as we say yes to God and as we say yes to the Holy Spirit, as we say yes to doing the Bible and not just hearing the Bible, that um, even though it's painful, it's only for a season, right? Isn't that what discipline is? It's painful for a season, but in the end it produces a harvest of righteousness. So we're talking about worship. When we were talk last week, I, I did spend some time talking about you know we we you know sometimes prophesy the problem here and we prophesy what's wrong and we prophesy what the enemy's doing and we think we attribute that to why maybe worship is flat or negative or heavy or whatever. And and last week we talked about pride and I I shared that and I'm going to share today because I think sometimes our worship in our personal lives, our worship in our corporate times isn't just always the enemy coming and beating up on us. Sometimes it's just I've been an, a stinker all week. Okay? I just didn't do Jesus very well. And sometimes I don't do Jesus so not well that there's a grieving of the spirit that happens. Not that he stops loving us and not that he stops caring for us and he never leaves us and he never forsakes us, but sometimes we can hurt his heart. Sometimes I've been a stinker all week and I didn't do God very well and I didn't love very well and that's why my worship stinks. And that's where I'm, I'm, I'm going at with these messages. And today I want to look at another obstacle of experiencing you know, the presence of God. Today I want to talk about the issue of anger and offense. Yeah, let's clap for that. There you go. You're getting it. Yay! I want this. And you know, <clears throat> it, 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 listen, it, it doesn't take a whole lot of awareness to see the current condition of America, right? We are divided and we are hostile right now. 
And, you know, every newscast, most social media, uh, sports now, Hollywood, government, they are all waging a war for our minds and our hearts. And I want to remind us that the roots of this cultural and civil and legal and ideological war is in the spirit realm. Every protest, every tweet, every commentary, every social media post is finding its strength and it's getting its momentum from the spirit world, good or bad. Ephesians 6, 12, Paul tells us that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. How many times do we have to remind ourselves every day on this thing? I mean, seriously, as we engage our soul, as we give our eyes to hours and hours of face puke scrolling, <laughs> flesh and blood is not what this is about. This is not about flesh and blood. But it's against the rulers, it's against the authorities, it's against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And if you want to hear more about that, come tonight. Mr. Hansen's going to talk about the armor of God and what you need to do. We have to be equipped. But the battle that is before us in culture right now, it is a spiritual battle that is raging for our hearts. Because here's why. Because if a belief system can find roots in our heart, it will produce fruit through our hands. If a belief system can find a root in our heart, it will produce fruit through our hands. Whatever you believe, you will do something about. And when it comes to anger and offense in our lives, well, these are just emotional indicators that something is growing inside of me that wants to destroy me. You know, anger is not just an emotion. It can actually be turned into a weapon. And in today's cultural climate, anger has been weaponized to a nuclear level. Anger is fueling, rage is fueling physical violence. It's destroying people's lives, whether it's through the loss of employment or the loss of literal life. Now, on the non-nuclear level, which is where most of us live, we can observe anger as a weapon when parents are trying to control their children. You know, children using anger to control their parents. Bosses use anger to control their employees. Teachers used to be able to use anger to control a classroom. Probably still do a few. But when it, you know, and then when it comes to the rest of us, you know, when all else fails and we are utterly out of, Every tool 
to get what we want. Anger is the big stick that we pull out for the heavy work. You know, some words that even describe anger in case you feel like, oh, I'm not an angry person. Well, let me help you with that. Because there are degrees and shades of this ugly monster. Some words like irritability, feuding, frustration, hostility, punishment, <coughs> rage, resentment, retaliation, revenge. Do you like to hold grudges? Hatred. Spite, and even violence. You know, some of the causes of anger, a lot of times can be, you know, drawn to or connected to issues of abandonment. You know, disappointment in life. It's where it hits me the most. I get disappointed and I get mad. Andy Stanley, in his book, Enemies of the Heart, he says that the essence of anger is this, and I love it. This is his statement. He says, the essence of anger is this. You owe me. The essence of anger is you owe me. You owe me love, you owe me honor, you owe me respect, you owe me hard work, you owe me obedience, you owe me to do what you said you would do. You know, we assign debts to people when it comes to faithfulness, when it comes to compassion, you owe me compassion. Understanding, you need to understand me and my situation. Even things like civil rights and freedom. And so when our offended hearts have piled up enough debt against our debtors, anger kicks in and now we have permission to take what we think belongs to us. By force, if necessary. And, you know, similar to the effect of pride that we talked about last week, you know, similar to that, to, the, to pride in our hearts, you know, we have anger and offense. Anger and offense also give us permission to dispense condemnation and cruelty against anyone who's wronged me. You know, in the church, it's not necessarily physical violence that we experience, but we certainly do commit character assassinations. We gossip, we slander, we remind people of the sins of others, past or present. Did you know she used to struggle with that? Yeah, look at her up there now. All acting like she got stuff together. She got Jesus, that's what she got. You might get some yourself. 
you little gossip. <laughs> See, in the church, we love to use, and not just the church, but, you know, since violence is frowned upon, we, we love to use passive, aggressive behavior. Yeah. You know, we love to resist those who we are in discord with. You know, things like, Giving the least amount of work and effort at your job. Giving the least amount of effort at school. Giving the least amount of effort when it comes to serving in ministry. Just going to do the bare minimum. We get passive aggressive when we just avoid those that we don't get along with. In my own life, is my favorite path. I can shut down. I can withdraw. I can build walls. I can discount and write people off. But all of the enemies of our soul, of all the enemies of our soul, anger, if it's left unchecked in our lives, it can literally be the most devastating emotion that you allow into your heart. So, why does this relate to the experiencing the presence of God? Well, Jesus tells us it does. Let's look at Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 23. It says this, and this is Jesus speaking. He says, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. So, Jesus is painting a picture of a person who has come to worship God, which is what, you know, bringing your gift to the altar represents. And in the very nicest way possible, he tells his listeners, you know, that God is not interested in your worship until you deal with this issue. In other words, this issue is so important to the heart of God that God will resist our worship until we clean up our mess with others. What? God won't let me tell him I love him? No, he will. He's just not responding until you clean up your mess. And this isn't the first time we see God reject someone's offering. Malachi chapter 1 and verse 6. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests, who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? 
when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? Now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, he will show favor. Will he, will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts? Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. So we've got this picture here, this story where the Lord is scolding the Israelites through the prophet Malachi for despising the Lord with their lame offerings. And when I say lame, I don't just mean worthless. Literally, literally Israel was offering animals that were lame and crippled and had defects. And this is wrong because God said every sacrifice that, was, is, that you bring to me, it has to be the first and it has to be the best. Perfection. You give me the very best lamb you've got. No blemish, no defects, no deformities. And God was telling his people that he rejects their worship because they were despising his name with their blemished offerings. So here's another example. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. It says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. See, when we offer worship and prayer from the same heart that has obvious anger and offense toward another of God's children, our worship and our prayer, they become blemished and deformed. You know, Jesus made a very significant statement when he asked what, when he was asked, what is the most important commandment? Matthew 22, 36 tells us this story. It says, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and all the prophets. So we have Jesus right here in one brilliant answer. He connected loving God and loving your neighbor. He brought them together forever and eternity. In other words, Jesus is saying you cannot have one without the other. Loving God means we're loving our neighbor. It means that a loving, living relationship with God depends on right relationships with others. 
So, let's just imagine just for a moment, you're at a restaurant and you're eating a nice steak. About halfway through the steak, you know, the waiter comes up to you and he says, Hey, I, uh, I thought you might want to know that you're eating a very special steak. The farmer that sold us that steak got it from a two-headed cow. And I just, you know, now the cow never learned to walk and never could stand very well. In fact, it had sores all over its body. But enjoy. It's a one-of-a-kind steak. Maybe you prefer fish. Waiter says, hey, that's a special fish you're eating. You know, when it was caught, they say it had an extra set of eyeballs on its tail. And they worked. The fish could see with them, but it couldn't swim all that great. And so it kind of had a lot of parasitic worms in it. But you know what? We cleaned most of it out, and what we didn't get, the heat killed. Enjoy it. I mean, that's basically what God's saying. That's basically what the Lord was saying through Malachi. You know, give one of your deformed animals to one of your governors and see what they think. Worship offered to God from a heart that has got anger and offense at your brother is deformed. Worship. And God resists us when we resist each other. You know, have you ever overheard or uh, watched one of your children talking badly to a sibling or to another child? And, and, and they didn't know you saw what they did or heard what they did. And then that child comes bouncing in to your presence and with a smile and they want some affection, maybe a special treat. Like something today, Dad. Do we not say something like, excuse me? How dare you come to me like everything is rosy after I just heard or saw what you just did? I saw what you did to that poor little kid out there. I saw what you did to your brother. I saw what you did to your sister. You march your little hiney right back over there and you make things right with that other child and then you can come talk to me. That's how I parent. I think it's biblical. Isn't that how God parents us? God feels the exact same way with us. You just rip someone a new one on a text or a Facebook post or a whisper to your best friend at school. And we come bouncing in, oh God, here I am, love me, help me, save me, fix me. I need stuff from you today. The presence of God is hindered by our anger and our offense with others. You know, Paul talks about worthless offerings in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1. 
says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove, remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. And if I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. God refuses to give us credit on the life test if we fail loving each other as a part of the test. Did, did you read what I read? He fails us if we don't love. I mean, let's, let's go through all the failing marks that Paul gives us. First, he says, if we speak in tongues and we love to talk a lot, you know, but we don't have any love, he says, you're annoying. You're just annoying. Wait, that's a different song. Right? But you don't have love in your heart. You don't care about anybody else. You don't think about anybody else. You're just doing your thing all the time, just me. He says, you're annoying. That's what a clanging cymbal is. That's what an annoying gong is, right? The next failing mark, Paul says, is, is if you know we've got prophetic powers and we know mysteries and we have knowledge and we've got faith, faith that moves mountains, but don't have love, he says, you're nothing. You are nothing. The Hebrew and the Greek for nothing is nothing. <laughs> wow. I mean, that's really personal, Paul. <laughs> that's super personal. And finally, he says, if we give it all away and even our own bodies to death, but we don't have love, he says, then we gain nothing. We get nothing. There's no credit. No crown, no jewels, no nothing. That's three very serious negative marks against us when we don't do love. We're annoying, we're nothing, and we get nothing. And Paul's not talking to heathens. He is talking to church people. God is not interested in our worship. We have messes that we refuse to clean up. John, the Apostle John, reinforces this in 1 John chapter 4, verse 20. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment, everybody say commandment. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Now, I know I can hear you saying, I say it myself when I read these, whoa, whoa, hang on, who said anything about hating anybody, right? That's pretty serious. I'm just a little upset. I'm just a little angry at this person. That's why I'm not talking to them. Okay, let's go back to Jesus and see what he was saying about this whole anger problem, right? So in verse 23 of Matthew, that verse is a part of a larger context. That's why the verse starts with the word so. 
which also can mean therefore. So let's see why verse 23 is therefore. Matthew 21, 521. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So, or therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court lest your accuser, accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and then you get put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Now, in most Bibles, this section of Scripture, the heading, it has a heading over it. And some headings say anger. Some headings say murder. According to Jesus, both are correct. When Jesus says, but I say to you, when he makes that statement, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't doing away with the sixth commandment. He wasn't just adding his own beliefs. Actually, what he was doing was he was giving a fuller understanding of why God made that law in the first place. For example, Moses says in uh, Exodus 20, 13, we don't have to go there, it's a short one, it just says, you shall not murder. Now, we've got the Pharisees here who, um, you know, know the law, and they've read this law, and so they've never killed anybody, they've never murdered anyone, so they were feeling pretty good. Yeah, I've done Moses. Thou shalt not murder, I have shalt not. I shall did not kill anyone. They felt pretty righteous. Here's the thing. They were angry enough, so angry with Jesus, that eventually, guess what they do to him? They plot his death. That's how angry they are. Now, they're not going to do the dirty work themselves, but guess what was in their heart? They were so angry at the Messiah. They're like, we have to kill him. He has to die. Murder is a horrendous sin. But anger is a great sin too because it violates God's command to love. And this anger here that that Jesus is talking about, it refers to this kind of seething, brooding bitterness. The brother or sister, you know, which could refer to, you know, physical, like natural brother or sister or another believer. Here's the thing, anger, it 
keeps us from developing a spirit that is pleasing to God. You know, we may never ever get, you know, summoned to court because of our anger, but it does make us liable to judgment. And, you know, obviously in verse 21, when Jesus said, you know, if you murder, it's, you're liable to judgment. It's a human court. But in this, where Jesus says, you're li- if you have anger, you're liable. He's talking about the divine court of heaven. Now, in verse 22, when Jesus says, whoever insults his brother, some translations use a word, there, bracha. I don't think this ESV does, but I think maybe NIV does. Maybe New King James. But there's some translations that have this word raka there. And raka is a word that means nitwit, blockhead, idiot. And it conveys a very arrogant, proudful attitude of dismissing one of God's creatures as an idiot. You're just an idiot. So stupid. Then we move on in verse 22, and Jesus calls attention to another insult. This insult, you fool. Now that word fool is the word moros, which is where we get our word moron. Now, this word goes beyond raka. This word goes beyond raka because this word actually attacks the dignity of the person, him or herself. This is where character assassination really starts running good. You see, raka expresses contempt for a person's mind, you know, they just, they're just stupid. They're just dumb. I can't believe they did that. Moros expresses contempt for the person's heart and character. It takes from you're an idiot to you are a worthless idiot. And Jesus is telling us that angry words and name-calling reveal a heart that is way far from God. 1 John chapter 3, verse 15, it says, Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So Jesus is making it known in Matthew 5, That when we stoop to insulting or calling a fellow believer a derogatory name, it makes one liable to judgment as possible the end being not what we want it to be. Because he says what? At the end, if you take this all the way, if you hold on to this anger and this hatred in your heart, if you hold on to it, never let go, There's an end you're not looking forward to. This is heavy stuff. 
I know it is. But God is serious about what's in our hearts when it comes to each other. He will resist our offerings of worship until we make things right, no matter what the cost is to us. In fact, it's really important to understand that when Jesus says, leave your offering at the altar and go be reconciled. Now listen, he is talking to Jews who quite possibly have made a 100-mile pilgrimage to Jerusalem to make this offering. And, and so think about how costly this statement is to that guy. They literally have to leave their offering, go home, back to their hometown, 100 miles, make things right, and then come back and offer this offering. That's costly. Now, we don't get that. Well, I just go to the altar and offer, or I can do it in my bedroom. You're right. But in their time... This was a huge deal. Are you kidding me? I can't just go leave my offering and, then, and, and do my thing and then go home and make things right then? Nope. Nope. Take your offering. Go. You go home, you make things right, and then you come back and you can offer this thing unblemished. Jesus is not messing around with us. Now, as I wrap this up, there's one little last twist in this teaching of Jesus. So when we start reading in verse 21 and 22, Jesus is addressing our problem with anger, and he's declaring you know, that hatred and anger in our hearts is the same as murder. So I'm reading verse 22, 21, 22, and I'm thinking, yeah, I know, I know. I need to deal. I need to deal with my anger towards this person. I, I, I hear that. I see it. But something really interesting happens in verse 23 and, and 24. And so in Matthew 5, 23, it says this. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Now wait a second. Jesus just switched the focus from my anger toward others, and now he's asking me to think about other people's anger against me. Now, this was really confusing to me for a while. Uh, you know, I mean, you know, first of all, if I'm angry or offended at someone, I'm, I know I'm supposed to go to them and reconcile. I, I get that. But here Jesus is, is telling me that if someone has something against me, then I have to go to them as well. And this really confused me, why Jesus would switch the focus in the middle of this passage. So I started hunting down an answer. <laughs> praying, asking, looking, reading, studying. And what I found was something really amazing. It was amazing for me. I hope it's amazing for you. And I wish this was my revelation. I wish I could say an angel came and handed me a scroll. <laughs> here's the open, here's the meaning to the book, my son. No, it came through a guy by the name of Dr. Mark Ward. <laughs> um, and so I'm just going to read what he said about this. It's really, really good for me. 
Here's where the unexpected twist in Jesus' counsel arises. He makes a radical shift. He's no longer condemning my anger at others. He's discussing others' anger against me. I expect Jesus to tell me what to do when I am angry, when I feel as if my rights have been violated. I expect him to tell me how to treat the people who betrayed and hurt me. Instead, he tells me what to do when others feel that I have betrayed or hurt them. Why? Well, I'm about to make the greatest understatement of all time. Jesus is brilliant. By focusing my attention on my own sins, he not only helps me diffuse others' anger against me, he helps also diffuse my anger against others. It is in remembering that I am still struggling with sin, and sometimes I'm mean about it, that I can have pity on others. It is in remembering that I, am for, that I am a forgiven sinner that I can find the strength to forgive others who sin against me, just like the parable of the unforgiving servant. D.A. Carson points out in his commentary on Matthew, he says, we are more likely to remember when we have something against others, right? Than we are... Uh, something against others than when we have done something to offend others. If we are truly concerned about our anger and hate, we shall be no less concerned when we provoke it in others. So the big picture is this. If you don't love your neighbor made in the image of God, the Bible says you don't love God. And you might as well stop putting on the outward show of religiosity for the moment and go make things right with God's image bearer. God's image bearer. Then we can return to what truly is most important in life, the love of God. So the prescription of Jesus is simple. Now, I didn't say it was easy, but it is simple. Go make things right with others, and then come back with your worship. It's that simple. Dry and lifeless worship could be the result Anger and offense in our hearts or the hearts of someone else. Now, what do we do when we go to that person and they don't respond? Romans 12, 18 tells us what to do exactly. If at all possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. All I can do is offer peace. All I can do is offer reconciliation. All I can do is offer peace 
to those who refuse to talk, refuse to forgive, or refuse to repent. I cannot make someone forgive me. And I cannot make someone repent for the wrong they've done to me. So then once we've offered just peace and we've done everything we can, we move on to Luke 6, 27 and 8, 27, 28. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you and bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. So let's just connect with the Holy Spirit for just a moment. If you would just close your eyes, if you could, just to help minimize distraction. I'm positive that like me, people were popping up in your heart and mind this morning as I was talking about this issue. Friend at school. Someone posted something hateful at school. Maybe someone is ignoring you, is avoiding you. You're avoiding someone. We have to, we have to repent for giving ourselves permission to not love. We have to repent for turning our love off. So just take a moment. If someone popped up in your heart or multiple someones, maybe you got a list going, that's okay. God's patient. But let's just repent for just a moment and ask the Lord to forgive us for not loving, for not forgiving ourselves permission. Father, I repent for not keeping my love on, for carrying offense in my heart and anger. I ask you to forgive me, God, for my character assassinations, for my gossip, for my slander, my passive, aggressive behaviors, God, I am asking for forgiveness. Now, Father, I'm asking that you would restore to me a love that is divine, that is heavenly, a love that looks like Corinthians 13, that trusts and hopes, 
doesn't keep record of wrongs, doesn't boast, doesn't brag. I'm asking for that kind of love in my heart, God. I'm asking for the Holy Spirit of love to fill me with that revelation today, God. Pray, Father, you fill us with that kind of love, that agape love that doesn't require a response. It just does. Finally, Lord, I pray that you would give me courage to go. That I would obey Jesus. That I would make things right with those people in my life who have something against me. Hold a, a grudge or whatever, God. I don't judge them. I'm judging myself to be Full of courage, God, I'm asking for that courage to, to go and reconcile, to reconnect, to rebuild the bridge. If I burned it up, forgive me. If I blew it up, forgive me, God. I, I want to rebuild these bridges. Give me courage today, God. God, I thank you for the deep work you're doing in this church. I thank you, Father, for the change that's coming. Thank you for the maturity that's upon us. Thank you that as we seek to love deeply, serve sacrificially, live holy, speak truthfully and go globally, God, that, that Lord, you're equipping us with love as the fuel that you're maturing us and you're growing us up today. I'm asking God for more. I'm asking for more love, more power, more faith, more hope, God. You're in desperate need of you. And we want to be a people who do the Bible. I just hear it. I just read it. We want to do the Bible, God. So give us strength and courage to do your word today and the next day and the day after that. We thank you for your presence here today. We thank you for the lives that have been changed, the miracles that have happened, the hearts that have been softened, God. We thank you for that today. Thank you for all your goodness and kindness that's been shown to us. And we just say, God, we love you. We love you. We love you. We give you praise today. And in the precious and most holy, wonderful name of Jesus, we pray. Everybody says, amen. amen. God bless you. Have a great week.